0: Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series called The Edge. Um, today, we have Brent Dieterding here with us. Um, I'm very happy to have him here. No doubt I have pronounced that wrong, and you can tell us the story that you've just told us in a minute. Um, but please introduce yourself. Please give us a little bit of background of kind of where you started out, what your career entailed, and how you got where, t- where you are today.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. So my name is Brent Dietering. I uh, wanted my name pronounced twice. When it, when did my name pronounced properly twice in my life? Wedding and funeral. Uh, they messed it up at my wedding, but they're gonna get it right at the funeral. I'm, I'm determined. Uh, I'm a CISO for AFNI for about a 10,000 person business process outsourcer, meaning that we run big call centers around the world. And uh, I've been here just about a year. My stress has never been lower. My satisfaction never been higher. I love this gig. I love everything about it. I spent 19 years working for a fantastic company, uh, SecureWorks. I spent 15 years in operations, four years in sales, and so being the the vendor to CISO, let alone a sales guy to CISO, uh, gives me a little bit of a unique perspective. So uh, that's, that, that's always, that's always kind of fun. I, I don't know anyone else who came from vendor sales to be a CISO, but if you meet anyone, send them my way. I'd love to talk to them. That'd be kind of cool. So, yeah, but that's me. That's what I do.
0: I think we, we've we had the uh, CISOs on our podcast. We've had CISOs on our podcast. And there's kind of, let's be blunt about it, there's a bit of confusion about what the CISO role is, right? I mean, it's a relatively new role. Yeah. Um, but, but what does it mean to you? What what is it you do on a daily basis? Like what does the role of the CISO entail for you?
1: Man, I'm not I've actually not been asked that question and I love it because the CISO should be, in my opinion, in most organizations, an executive that enables the business, right? Enabling the business is something that I find is is lacking in the industry, both from vendors and from CISOs, talking about enabling the business. To succeed. I happen to be a risk guy. I happen to be a cybersecurity guy, right? But at the end of the day, I enable the business. And I enable my business in four ways. I ensure compliance, right? I avoid cost, catch the bad guy early, right? Increase efficiency and, and enable sales. Every minute I spend, every dollar I spend goes back to one of those four things, bar nine. And that is really my view. Now, the other way of saying it is that a CISO is there to mitigate risk to the level acceptable to the business, right? And that's that's fine too. I, I, I can go with that one too, right? But all of that is to enable the business, right? So to that end, and we'll talk more about this, I, I'm guessing, um, like I'm in maintenance mode. So next year, I intend to give back some of my budget because I don't need it. I don't need 50% more budget or 50% more people or anything like that, because I've been able to mitigate the risk to a level acceptable to the business. And I enabled the business in cost avoidance, compliance, increased efficiency in sales, right?
2: That's a bit of a, well, I won't say controversial, but different approach to most CISOs out there that are, um, you know, they start off their their roles, uh, their lifetime in a role is somewhere right around two years. They have a lot to do in a short amount of time, and and oftentimes, uh, let's be honest, they inherit a hot burning mess. Um, sure. So, you, I know you you had a post around maintenance mode, and and very insightful. Um, so, as someone who's coming into a business, and and say you've got two years to kind of prove yourself, um, what what are kind of the processes you put into place, or or milestones you put into place to kind of prove back to the business the value?
1: Sure. So. Amongst other things, um, I, I'm i a fir- first-time CEO, right? So I wanted to set myself up for success. So I interviewed long and Hard. Um I decided I did not want to work for a lot of places that really wanted a technical leader. I right? had been a technical leader for a long time. I was happy. I loved it there. Um, I wanted to be a strategic executive, right? So I interviewed for that environment. And I interviewed for the right culture that I could fit into. And in other words, an environment in which I could succeed. So I hit the ground running because the culture was very comfortable to me. They had already done a lot of things that, that made it relatively easy for me to gain traction quickly. But what I did um, is I started right out of the gate, even in my interview process, talking about enabling the business, talking about how I could enable the business, what I wanted to do, some philosophies I had, things like that. One aspect that I knew I was successful in that was I had been a sister for like three weeks, right? And a director in HR called me and was like, hey, I hear you are the yes, how guy. And I was like, "Ah, victory, touchdown. Like if this person that I not yet met had been told and knew like, hey, this is the yes, how guy, that's victory, right? That is establishing a good culture. Right. And I associate same culture with all of my peers, all my execs, their reports, our internal clients, our external clients, everyone involved. I was the enable the business guy. And if I if I want to do something security wise that is not self-evidently a good idea, very quickly, that I need to think long and hard about how to make it self-evident. Right. So, for example, when I went and said, "Hey, I want to buy YubiKeys for everyone," um, it was like, yeah, yeah, "Yeah, go." Why didn't you do it last week? Right? It, it was that kind of thing. Like, I get pushed most often on why aren't we going faster? And which is cool, um, but I know that we are going ridiculously fast. Um, conveying that is is the harder part. But if anything, I get I get pushed to be more aggressive. And, and go faster. And that's, uh, that's a good problem to have.
2: Is there like a, a, a feedback loop that you, you know, work with the, the board or, or senior leadership with and uh, kind of explain the journey that you need to take? Uh, can you kind of give me some examples of that?
1: Yeah. So I talked with my ELT, um, we're a perfectly held company, so we don't really have a board, um, uh, not functionally. Um, but it, to my exec team, I, talk to them once a month in a formal kind of environment and very much uh it was the situation where I was like so what do you want how do you want me to report what do you want me to report on and they're like uh, we don't know I'm like all right and so we kind of figured that out together like what works what doesn't so things like frameworks maturity scores like I don't really care CFO doesn't care CEO does don't care no one cares so we don't do that we focus on hey there's risk I've shifted around a little bit between qualitative, quantitative, risk assessment, fair, all this kind of stuff to kind of feel out like what works for me, what works for them. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good, pretty good path on that now. But it, to a large extent, this is the deal where we're kind of figuring this out together um, a, a little bit. And I'm not saying that it has gone perfectly or that I've been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it is working right? It's not perfect, but it's definitely working. And at the end of the day, what my board care or what my ELT cares about, what I care about is, are we reducing risk? And is it self-evident that we are doing so? And the answer to those is yes. We get validation from that from insurance. We get validation from that from external clients. We get validation from the marketplace for that. We get validation from the experiences of our competitors. Um, And we get internal validation too. So there's a lot of things that validate that our approach is working. And that's uh cool for me, but cool for my ELT as well. That everyone knows, everyone knows the vision, everyone knows what we are doing, why we're doing it. And uh, like I said, my only issue is that they kind of sometimes expect me to go faster than maybe I can, but that's all right.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, um, that's that's a good place to be. I mean, when you've got them saying, Go faster. I mean, a lot of the times, and I like the 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 fact that they see you as the person that says yes, how. Um, because a lot of the time, and in my experience, security teams can be seen as the team of no. Oh, and yeah. there's always been that balance between adding security um, but keeping the company going and keeping it efficient. It's it's definitely been seen in my time as possibly the blocker, um, because security does tends to come as an afterthought and does tend to come as kind of well let's bolt it on after and because it's not necessarily been thought of during the kind of project process, you are you are changing the goalposts afterwards. So I, I guess my question is for the things that you deliver, are you embedding security along the way? Is it is it something you think about strategically and how and and is it part of the future plans, or are you? Is it is it an afterthought? And I think I know the answer to that, but I'll ask the question.
1: Yeah, it's baked in. Um, now that said, let's clarify. Like, um, we don't have now. We're not a big app Dev shop, right? That, that's not our output. Our output is to run call centers and work within our client systems, right? To do that, so in order to do that. Like uh, there's all the contract requirements and all that, but we are, we're leading, we're leading our clients and saying, hey, here's, here's how we approach this in a highly secure manner. And this enables our business and enables your business to grow and to operate efficiently and securely and all that. And that resonates really well, right? And when we talk to external clients, especially, right, this is not a matter of, oh, here's my SOC 2 type two, Here's my PCI. This is not a facts and figures thing. This is an emotion thing. It's a trust thing. It's a confidence thing. And so above all, like the, the baked in part is conveying the culture of sale or I'm sorry, security enabling the business, right? My favorite analogy ever is from uh, Malcolm Harkins, uh buddy and mentor of mine, who says uh, CISOs and security is like the wing on the back of a Formula One racer. Race car, right? It exists to create friction so the car can go faster, right? I I love that. There are others with brakes and all sorts of other great things. Um, that's just one that I like the most, and that's really what we do. Like we um are rarely uh slowing things down, and that comes out in little ways all the time, right? If someone comes and it's hey, we did involve security early enough in this. Uh, We want to do this. Uh, You know, is this okay? And I'm like, well, for one thing, I darn sure don't want to slow the business down. That said, can we talk about this and how we might do this? Or can we do this? Or can we do this? Whatever. And people generally are very open and welcome to that. And by creating that culture of enablement and by thanking people, you know, kind of courtesy thing, like, then they are more likely to involve us earlier in the process, right? Especially when they know that we're not going to be onerous and difficult and pedantic, that they understand why. That's a big, big deal, right? Understanding why we need to involve security, understanding why we need to do some things makes a really big difference, right? So that that culture of enablement uh, pays dividends for a long, long, long time to bake in security.
0: Well, I, I think that's pretty critical. Is is the bake in security? But I, I want to, John. Is there anything you want to add before I pivot a little? Yeah, bit?
2: I I wanted to ask one question. So, it seems that you you've come into a new organization or you've been there for a little bit. Um, how was the culture before that? Was it was it uh, security as as the office of no? Um, and what were some of the kind of the the processes you put into place to change that?
1: Yeah, I uh, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I did not, I didn't worry about what had been, uh, too much. I worried about when I, when I got there, I said, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. And, um, that resonated well. And I really didn't look back to what was or has been. Uh, in fact, one time I, I was talking to one of, uh, one of my peers in it or one of my colleagues in IT. And they're like, well, you know, like, that was your team. I said, my team? No, 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 wasn't my team. My team didn't say that. Like, someone else's team two years ago may have said that, but my team didn't say that. So, you share from town. We're doing to this. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I took any, um, I didn't want to get involved in that. I wanted to take any contention, any friction, anything that had been negative at all in the past and just completely ignore it and say that it wasn't me bye and take anything positive from the past which there was a lot right and take that and just build on that right so you know it's the the privilege of being the new guy right <laughs> like you get to you get to take the good and throw away the bad you're like i don't know, I don't know. that was someone else wouldn't me and so that was a uh, I, and that was also an uh, invigorating thing, I think, for everyone. Like, it's like, hey, fresh start. Forget that. Whatever. That was in the past. We're not doing that. Good, bad, whatever. Like, we'll take the good. That's fine. And I did. I started with a really good corporate environment in terms of security overall. Um, minor little things here and there. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But in general, um, I came into a very... Um, Fertile organization for, for my leadership, which I interviewed for, but it was also very fortunate.
0: Okay, so my, my question is a little bit of a pivot because obviously you've taken a slightly different direction into being a CISO, as you said at the beginning, and many other people had. Um, what do you think it was that stood out about you that makes a good CISO? And what do you think? The traits are for a good CISO. And they they are maybe one in the same, but obviously a lot of people are trying to to break into this role. Yeah. Um, and it's it's there's no traditional path in my mind. But what do you think are the traits and what do you think stood out about you about being a CISO, given where your background and where you came from?
1: Yeah, um, I have opinions. So I uh I have a, a great deal of opinions, and I I took those. And I realized they were tactical security practitioner catch the bad guy kind of opinions, right? Um, Born out of years of experience and expertise. And what I did is when I said, okay, I'm going to go try to be a CISO is I tried to uh, figure out how to get me, how to filter those opinions through an executive strategic lens. So not the lens of a practitioner, but through the lens of an executive. And that was really enabling the business right? So I I did that. And one of the tricks is I had to quit telling other people I was technical. When I interviewed, pardon, when I interviewed, I had to quit telling other people I was technical. And because what I was getting is I was getting positions that were really giving lip service to being a strategic leader. And they really wanted to be a technical leader. And I was like, I've been doing that 19 years. I love it. It's great. I don't, I I don't really want to do that more, right? Um, I wanted to be a strategic leader. So I quit telling other people I was technical. I got anything technical out of my resume, um, out of my words, out of the philosophies, out of the things I said, all that gone. After I'd been a CISO for a little bit, I quit telling myself I was technical. I spent 20 years with lead in my title, right? I was the like grand technical poobah in whatever organization I was in. And I set that down. I don't have access to any of my team's tools. I don't advertise myself as technical. I don't tell myself I'm technical. I focus entirely on enabling the business. And that came out in the interview process, so much so that I interviewed to be a director under the CIO. And the offer came back reporting to the CEO directly and being a peer with the CIO that was that was cool that was demonstration that what i was talking about was resonating right and the cio and i are really really close we we work very well together we're both layers to focus on delivering um on enabling the business and it's great because in a pinch he can speak for me and i can speak for him on a lot of things like in a lot of regards we share a brain which is awesome And I think that that is a big differentiator for me, and I think that that is a very big differentiator for CISOs, because when you talk about enabling the business, it is infectious, because other people recognize that and say, that's what an executive does that's what I want to be that's what I want to do and everyone start talking about it because it just works and that creates a very positive culture for the organization on the whole so it goes beyond just you it elevates your status in any organization if you are always talking about enabling the business not just speeds and feeds not just outcomes but enable the business and how this does that's a i I think a key to success to be an executive
0: I think you raised um two key points that I want to pull out. And and one was reporting lines of the CISO. You mentioned that you report to the the CEO and not the CIO. So we talk about this all the time. And my personal belief is that that's how it should be. Um, But also what you you then led on to say was, you have a great relationship with the CIO.
1: That's a bigger deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I wrote an article on that. And I wrote an article that that talks about how if that if those roles conflict then 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 you have a problem and whether that's conflict i guess more on a personal level because you you've made it very clear that you both want to enable the business whereas if you've got one person that doesn't want to do that and the other one does yeah. then you've got a problem because a lot of the time the cio really holds kind of the, holds the budget and the people they usually have more significant resource and I think that in itself leads to conflict. So it sounds to me like you've got like the perfect place to be, where you've got the right report in line, you've got a a seat on the board, but you're also very good relationship with with your peer, the CIO. Um, John, I don't know if you want to add anything to that.
2: No, I think that was a that was very interesting. Uh, because a lot of times you're right, Jay. There's there's contention between those two roles, and uh, where it reports into is very critical. Uh, not only from a you know, visibility perspective, but from a budgetary ex- perspective. Um, I want to change up a little bit here because uh, one of the other things, and this was a conversation, uh, Brent, that you and I had uh, back in Chicago last year around vendors. Uh-huh. You've you've got a unique uh, perspective on it. You, obviously, you were in the vendor space, so yeah. you kind of know all the the processes that go on there. But um I, I really when we talked, I really enjoyed your perspective on this in that um you basically set up time for vendors to come in and, and pitch you and you you give them the rules of the road. Uh yep. essentially it's it's four vendors per week on Fridays for 45 minutes. You slot them out and say, here, go. Um can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I, I kind of I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. your perspective on this. Well
1: so so I like vendors, right? Like salespeople and SEs are my people, right? I mean, like I, I, I get that. Um, and it keeps me, it's it's very validating for me, right? So uh, I take notes, like, I, like I'm still in sales or something. I take notes with every vendor that, that I meet with. I give them time. I try to sell it back to them so that I know that I understand it. And then I qualify or disqualify for my organization and kind of for others, like where I think it might fit in the marketplace. And statistically, I'm not a buyer, right? My budget is locked up and three-year deals and uh it's I'm going to decrease. And anyway, like I chances are I don't need whatever anyone is selling. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a bad idea, doesn't mean it's a bad product, doesn't mean I can't be educated. And so it's uh selfishly for me, it's beneficial because. I keep up to date on what's going on in the industry. I keep up with a lot of startups and a lot of new new ideas, new concepts. And it makes me think, like, why am I not doing this? Or do I want to do this? Or, or why? Or what do I think this is worth? Is this a $10 solution to a $5 problem? Or whatever. But it also is validating for the vendors to hear the messaging and hear, does this resonate? This do, This does not resonate. This does resonate. Here's how I would approach it. Here's why I don't care. Here's why I do care. Any of that, and so it's mutually beneficial. It's not a ton of time, and whether I'm a buyer or not, that doesn't. There's no reason we can't be civil with one another, for God's sakes. Um, and I, like my rules of the road are uh, are very innocuous. My rules of the road are: treat me like a human being, don't lie to me, and don't waste my time. That's it, right? And then I give icebreakers. I'm like, here's icebreakers. Form a relationship with me, right? Do something. I will give you time, right? And we'll have a good time talking, because I had situations like last year, for example. I talked to a company in May. I was like, I'm not a buyer. It's cool. I like it. I'm just, it's not something that I'm willing to spend money on, right? Um, then things changed. We we got some things done. Times changed and in December I was like, hey um i need that now so i called him and i was like hey we talked to May. give me an update give me a po and i signed it in a week right like that happens right so it's uh i enjoy it vendors seem to enjoy it and it gives me a continually updated perspective on what's out in the marketplace and why i care why i don't care and then i use that and i um uh, i I'm we very welcome very happy to give recommendations for products i've actually there's a couple um couple of vendors i talked to last year that i'm like i'm not a buyer but i thought it was wicked cool and i recommended it to four or five other CSOs. right i really should probably do deal ranch on those but whatever <laughs> um because i mean i have i was like hey this is this is cool this is awesome um and that's uh that's fine, right? Because then I'm not only looking like I'm not just saying, no, 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 no for me, but I'm saying, okay, yeah, no for me. That's fine. Who cares? Right. But here's where I think it would be applicable. And here's how I would approach it. Or it gives me the the insight to say, hey, um, here's how I generally approach this problem. What do you think? And then they can say, Oh, well, you know, we see clients do X, Y, and Z. And the cool thing is that um, I love that I came from a vendor because coming from a vendor, I saw hundreds of environments every single year for 20 years, right? And I was in a global role. So I wasn't just one area, one topic company. I went all over the world, every different vertical, every different everything. And I saw all of those approaches. And that was so beneficial. Well, now I'm in one organization, right? But I can still get insight into what other people do via the vendors. Right, so I can say, hey, what do people, what what do large companies doing? How are they approaching this problem? Hey, what do you see with small companies? Oh, hey, where's your wheelhouse? So I get a lot of I get a lot of value from them, but I hope that they get a lot of value from me as well. And at the end of the day, then we make friends, and it's all good.
0: Yeah, I think that's a- I Sorry, go, on. Just gonna no, add go on.
2: In. I was just gonna, kind of reading through your rules of the road, and and you know you published them out on on LinkedIn. They're very out, very much out there. So if you're a vendor trying to sell to Brent, uh, go check his LinkedIn because uh, please follow yes. his rules. <laughs> but but there's a lot of it, the underlying theme here is is partnership right? Yes. Uh, a lot of times vendors and uh, buyers and sellers are looking in a competitive environment where uh, each is trying to maximize their purchasing power. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there's value in that. I just, you know, that's business. It's the way it is. But there's also value in partnering with somebody uh, because at some point you're going to need to call in a favor. Yeah. And if you take every trips. dollar off the table or you treat them poorly uh when you need that favor and it could be at 3 a.m in the morning because you've got an outage or or you're being attacked or the product isn't working um they're willing to go to that for you so can you talk a little bit about that because obviously you have experience on both sides
1: yeah so uh i don't know if people still do but back in the day we measured our uh client happiness as nps net promoter score in the sock right and i'm talking like early 2000s right and uh, I was, uh, I was one of the two, I ran one of the two socks And we had crazy margins for one thing. But our net promoter score was up, up around 70. Like, I've been invited to so many clients, kids birthday parties, right? that only happens when you have a relationship. Like when you know someone professionally, you don't generally volunteer your kids' birthday party, but we have, right? We did that all the time. And so partnership has been something that from my very early days of my career has just been like what you do, right? And it flowed naturally in, in sales as well. That Just like relationships, getting to know, caring about people, treating them as human beings, all that kind of stuff. And it's funny because sometimes I'm like former relationship above all else, former relationship, worry about the sale will or won't happen later. Right. And it's funny because sometimes people reach out and they're like, yeah, but how does that look like? And I'm like, okay. So remember when you were like this tall and five, like in, in kindergarten, do that, like reach out, like be friendly. Like if you want to be friend, be friendly, right. Uh, Get to know people. Care about what they say, know a little bit about them. And it doesn't take, especially for me, it really does not take much. I give it to you right on LinkedIn, right? And it's like icebreakers, galore, all that. And even if you say, hey, I read it and none of the I don't resonate with any of those. Can we talk? That's fine. You tried, right? It the bar is very, very low, right? It's just start the relationship. And the reason why this is important is not like, oh, I'm narcissistic and you must follow my rules of the road. It's because when you do cold outreach, right, you are essentially asking me or someone, you're asking a stranger to put time and energy into a relationship that you are not willing to put the same amount of time and energy into. And generally as human interaction, we call that cringy, right? Like it's weird, it's odd, it doesn't feel quite right, it's off putting And when it happens 25 times a day, you gotta cut it. You're like, listen, I I I've got to I've got to protect this organization. I've got to work, I've got to do my day job, not just give energy and time and, and stuff to strangers who just say they want it. Right. So if you do even a little bit, it really, really helps.
2: I want to kind of go back to um, talking a little bit about maintenance mode um, and kind of explain that to me. What what benefits to the business does that have? Because if you look at IT and and you were just at RSA, uh, the amount of vendors, the amount of technologies, uh, the amount of available spend that everyone seems to have seems to be funding security, and security seems to be uh, ever increasing in the amount of dollars that are invested in it. Yet the returns on investment if you kind of think about it from a cyber perspective are mm-hmm. kind of low um yeah. we, we still have a lot of ransomware we still have a lot of cyber attacks uh you know i think my id was stolen five times last week um kind of talk to me a little bit about strategy security and uh maybe how we get out of this uh, this mess and what your perspective is
1: yeah so my perspective is that my uh the highest priority things that i can address are things that are either happening right now, or are probably going to happen tomorrow that would have devastating impact. Right, those should be the top priority things. Um, I took care of those. Those are the I'm not worried about those. What remains is things that I would be relatively surprised if they happened, and would be mm, kind of, sort of bad. Right. That that's my next priority. Right. And I frankly don't need a lot of people. Uh, Tools, money, all that to make those things happen, right? So significant risk reduction is fairly simple. That's a technology statement. Easy people people process statement and cheap. So I don't need to spend like I don't need 70 tools. I need 10. I don't need 30 people. I need 10, 20, something like that, right? Um, I don't need 10 million bucks. I need two or whatever it is, right? So and not only that, but once I've achieved a level of risk that the organization is comfortable with, I don't need any more money. I don't need any more people. Independent of changing threat landscape and people, unless it's a tectonic shift, I don't need it. Like it works. Now, if we want to go into FedRAMP, if we want to go into uh, GDPR, uh, AI may be a thing, quantum computing may be a thing. Those are big, big, big shifts. Right, but the next version of ransomware, or whatever, and not so much. Right. So when I talk about management, it doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing by any means. It means that we knock down the material risk to the company, and it means that the remaining things we're working on, absolutely, but they don't take a whole lot of time. They don't take a whole lot of money. That means that nothing is especially urgent right i'm not like oh my god this is a huge risk and we've got to fix this it's like no no no. like we took care of the big stuff be a little bit surprised if this happened but we're gonna yeah we'll do this we'll do this we'll tune the knobs, tweak we'll do all that but it's not like oh my god the sky is falling you're irresponsible if you don't give me 50 more money that's not the case and i was not crazy funded before or anything like that um it was a very i i think, from what I can tell, a very normal kind of percentage and all that. But like, and even now, I'm looking not so much for me as a security person, but I'm looking at how can I, what can I do to save us hardware money? What can I do to help my CIO save money? Um, What can I do to, to decrease risk and, and increase functionality? You know, things like that for, for cheaper. Or renegotiate or do whatever. I mean, do whatever I can do. But yeah, my perspective is not very, very much not that we are never, ever done, right? My perspective is that there is a point where you hit maintenance mode. Maintenance mode is marked by lack of urgency, uh, no hair on fire moments, right? Hopefully. And and beyond that, that we're looking for opportunities to decrease spend, not, oh, my God, we've got to spend more, and more, more. Uh, that's not the that's not the solution. Because at the end of the day, my company can use some of my budget better elsewhere. I don't know where that is is not my call by any means, but I don't need it. So I'll I'll give it back. Pardon me, geez. If I can, I'll give it back. It's not required. I'm not saying everyone should do it. I'm saying that for me and my organization, I'm comfortable with that.
2: I like that perspective. Uh, when i was running infrastructure the the whole idea was to reduce um our ktlo load so to keep the lights yeah. on activities and you know really trying to automate things trying to to bring things to light that uh were redundant and 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 repetitive and and moving that out of it and then also making good choices in terms of tooling uh would this tool add to our burden would it subtract from our burden sure. uh those were evaluations that we uh you know it, and I'm wondering when you look at security tools is that something that you um consider as you kind of weigh oh, yeah. if I'm bringing a tool in or I'm, I'm removing a tool one of the things I told my team is if okay you want that tool all right two tools need to leave so one you know no so one for you trade that off
1: I I am of the I'm of the perspective right because you get the prices law is one way of looking at it what Anthony Johnson talks about I love money. Um, um, the other way is diminishing returns, right? Yes. So if you have 70 tools, what's the incremental value of 71 or 72 or 75, or whatever, right? Um, I am much more of the like 10 tool kind of threshold, right? And so, like, I have 10 tools. I don't know how many, but I have 10, I have few tools, and I'm not even sure I need all of them, right? So, the other thing that management gives you is it gives you the ability to calmly and soberly approach things and make them into repeatable programs, not projects that people go and we can document and then also give us you time to give your people like different projects or cooler projects or whatever. And it's a function of it's like, hey, you know, hey, yeah, that might be kind of cool. Let's look into it, right? When everything is not firefighting mode, people aren't stressed. They're not working as much, at least not a full hours. And it's a more fulfilling experience, and we get all kinds of validation from just below nation-state level adversaries that attack us and people like us. We get validation from the external tests we have, from the internal tests we have, from threat hunts, from our own tools, from clients, from insurance, from all over the place. We get a lot of validation that says because they are doing a good job, and that's uh, that's pretty satisfying, right?
0: But I guess we should talk about zero trust. If if you didn't do that whilst I dropped off, um, sure. but I'm I'm definitely curious to to know if it's on the mind of of you as a CISO, and and if it is, what do you think about it, and what are you doing about it?
1: It is. It is. It is indeed. And but here's here's my uh, here's my perspective on it. So there are four hills that I will die on as a CISO. All right, 100% MFA. Uh, with rolling out UB keys. Okay. 100 percent device patch management, meaning you only connect to anything I have extra on my my corporate device, right? 100 percent EDR coverage and rapid patching and of any misconfig, any patching on any external attack service, right? Which for me is fairly easy to wrap my hands around and find. So from a security perspective, you're doing great. Right? If you can say those things, you were you were doing good. And you've really accomplished several of the kind of foundational pieces of zero trust, right? That said, uh, we still have, you know, big honking firewalls and we have external VPNs and some of that we have to have because we have, you know, I have to have a pipe from my client to my data center and that's the way it has to be, right? But can I go, can I consolidate tools? Can I consolidate hardware? Can 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 I consolidate all this to make it simple? And again, easy and cheap, right? Can I do this better for a net cost savings? Can I be more efficient? I think the answer is probably yes. But then you get into like timing of hardware depreciation and all that kind of stuff. And would I get better security controls? Eh, Yeah, I probably would, right? So there's benefits to security, but at the end of the day, like it's a dollars and cents efficiency cost savings play for me. It's not like security is not my end-all be-all for doing zero trust i already have the benefits of that or i have sufficient benefits from that right because i've done the simple easy cheap things like UB keys and device posture and all that using tools i already have now are there easier ways to do it if i were in a different environment would i start with zero trust probably but i'm not in that environment i'm in my environment so for me yeah it works uh and that's a definitely something i'm looking at and definitely something that i want to do it's just a matter of getting the timing right and the justification and all that kind of stuff the curious thing about zero trust um and i'm i'm gonna tick off some purists i know and you get that maybe you guys so sorry hold on but if i wrap into the umbrella zero trust sassy sse stuff and I just put that in a big blob, right? If I'm talking about that big blob, then I have to partner with the CIO, right? And again, that's my peer. Now, again, that is no issue for me. That's awesome. In fact, we we have separate budgets, but we kind of sort of like horse trade, right? Like, oh, hey, I spent more money on this. Oh, but I saved you money over here. Like, eh, it's going to work out. Like it, 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 it'll, it'll be okay. We can, we can tell that story fine. Right. So for me, that partnership is not a problem. I can envision that being a big problem if you're the CISO and you're trying to, and all of a sudden you're getting up in the, the VP of network architecture, you're getting up in his business on SD-WAN and Like, I can see that being a problem for me. It's not like, In fact, I'm talking later this week with our chief network architect guy. I'm like, hey, what do you think? What do I think? Oh, let's figure this out, right? And But there again, this is not a technology problem. This is a people process problem. This is a relationship problem. The same thing that vendors and CISOs happens for CISOs and CIOs, happens for CISOs and boards, happens for CISOs and sales. I mean, all this stuff. And sales is not this dirty work. Sales boils down to empathy. And understanding that people respond to their incentives. So being friendly. And uh, my friend Alan Alford, he says fiercely giving a shit, like, that goes a really, really long way. So, like, fiercely give a shit. Go for it. I, I think you
2: just in uh You just. Basically summed up the intent of this entire show and the <laughs> SSC forum. Uh, it's not about technology. It's about how do we get people to uh, come together and and move forward uh, in this new technology and zero trust Sassy SSC. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's not a technology problem. It, it, at the end of the day, it's going to be a people problem. It's also going to be a finance problem. You, you brought up, you know, whether this device is depreciated, how it's being treated from the budget. Uh, it's all part of the journey. It's not like you can just flip a switch and go, "Hey, I'm zero trust uh, certified," and and blah 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 maturity level ten. Or <laughs> you know, I've deployed SASE in a week. It's not possible, folks. Uh, <laughs> to listen to what Brent said there.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a journey, and I mean, you've you've pulled out some really kind of key insights in this in this podcast, and I think that the number one is relationship building. I mean, for, for me, when I worked on that side of the fence, when I was a customer, it was who can I lean on? Are they my peers? Are they people in other businesses? Are they the yeah. vendors? And I, I had a very small team, and I had to rely on getting insights from other people. and And that that were people like field CTOs like me and John. That that was people that did architecture, or people that did networking, or even the vendors. And I mean, and for me now that i'm in the vendor space a lot of my friends are the vendors that i worked with whilst i was a customer i've built those relationships and like you said i've been to their houses i've had barbecues with them and i that, that some of them yes they were just selling and when i swapped sides and changed over they kind of dropped me like a stone but they were the people i expected to do that and the people that Kind of, I made relationships with, and and certainly, whilst I was a customer, I would follow those people around if they moved from company A to company B to company C, and they give me a call and said, "Come and look at my tech." I would go. I would look at the tech. I'd be honest about the tech, and it may well be I said, "This doesn't fit into what my roadmap yeah. is right now," but I'll mention it to other people, and maybe it will fit in with my roadmap. Yeah.
1: So, so um, give this right. So. <clears throat> my fingerprints are all over SecureWorks. i worked there for 20 years right from the very very get go i love SecureWorks; they're great right i don't buy their XCR platform right now because i'm in three-year deals i'm not gonna duplicate my spend right to like i'm not i'm not to now next year when that contract expires are they do they get a seat at the table yeah i'll evaluate them i will also evaluate other people right and and that's that's okay and i'm not mad at them i'm not mad at anyone because honestly you know how many friends i have at how many vendors because yeah. like spread out like i have good friends at multiple mdr next year vendors right like like i hope no one feels slighted but like i gotta choose one right or, or i will i will choose one right Or I may choose none i don't know but like This isn't like whether we do business or not, it's not whether we can be friends or not, right? It doesn't mean that when we run into one another at RSA or on LinkedIn or whatever, that we can't shake hands and hug and have a drink. Like that, that's all fine. Like, uh, I love uh, Alan Alford in Separate Ranch podcast talk about, you know, uh, talk to interesting people and make friends along the way. I love that, right? Like, I've been doing this a long time. And like, I, one of the more satisfying things for me. In fact, I was at RSA like last week, right? And I'm going, and someone was like, hey, Brent. And it was a guy, the last time I, I think the last time I spoke with him was 20 years ago. I worked with him 20 years ago, right? Now I've kept up with where he is and he and I and all that, but 20 years since we spoke and he had a positive impression of me. I had a positive impression of him. That's satisfying to know that like, hey, 20 years ago, this guy thought it was okay, right? And yeah. now we can hang out and I'm like, oh, how you wife, kids. Oh, you had that dog. How's that dog? You train that dog, right? And all that stuff, like I care. I fiercely give a shit, right? And he asked about, he's like, oh yeah, I saw you. I talked to him. He said, you had a kid now and it's like, yeah. And so we talk, oh, are you still living? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Like that's gold. Like that's yeah. people, that's relationships and the way it also works is that like business cards change but names stay the same right this is not the biggest field in the world like we will work together at some point somehow right and it may be collaboration it may be a podcast it may just be agreeing it may be boxing ideas off one another it may be doing business it may be doing whatever but no matter what we do there's no reason we can't be civil for god's sake like Security is not a trade secret. Like, we're all one team, one dream kind of deal. Like, we're all fighting, we're all fighting the bad guy. So, let's be friendly while we're doing it. Right. We don't need to create division here. (laughs) Come on now.
0: I mean, that you've dropped some amazing bombs, but I want to pivot now into some fun questions because we we have only a few minutes left. Oh, Um, sure. So, I guess I'll go with the first one question. It's got to include food because food's my thing, right? Okay. Um, what has been your best food experience? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the best meal you've ever had, but your best food one. experience.
1: I got, one. I got one for you. So I, I could think about this and give you a lot, but I'll, I'll give you one. I was in the Philippines where we have offices a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and this is controversial even in, even in the Philippines a little bit. But I had a balut. A balut is a fertilized duck egg. That was left to grow, what was left to grow for between 14 and 21 days. Then they steam it. So then they cook it. You peel the top off of this egg, slurp it, eat the chick, and then eat the albumin in the bottom. Uh, I made two mistakes. One is that it was like room temperature, not like hot, which made it less appetizing. Two was that I ate the albumin in the bottom, which it has a texture of a rubber ball, which is pretty nasty. Yeah right but like yeah I screwed it out I have a video of it um but that was an experience right I'm not saying it was like I don't know about good but like I would do it again and it, it like I would do it again not not just because like I'm not not just going to be walking down the street in Manila but oh, yeah but like I'm willing it wasn't it, it tasted fine it was a disturbing texture and and look but yeah that was uh, that was the experience
0: yeah. See, I'm I'm not even willing really to try pineapple on pizza, so I I there's no way I'm trying <laughs> that. Um, but but John, you you fire one off before we finish. Oh, I've got to let's. Uh, I
2: I was going to ask you about Aaron Rodgers in the NFC North, uh, and who's going to own the NFC North because it's it's all up for grabs at this point, uh-huh. depending on how well Jordan Love turns out. Um, but let's let's talk bourbon instead. Um, how do you like to have your bourbon? Is it uh, straight up? Is it an old-fashioned, and if so, it is with ice, is it a squared ice or a spherical ice?
1: <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, I usually do on the rocks. Um, I will do it neat. That's fine. Um, uh, I tend to like one big cube. I don't really care if it's spherical or square. Um, even ice cubes, this doesn't bother me. Um, I'm not a big fan of like Jim Beam, but I was, I was on the bourbon trail a few months ago, and I love the quote from the messenger seller, Jim Beam, says, drink it any damn way you want it. I love that. Right. So I don't care what it is. I don't care how you want to drink it. Doesn't matter to me. Fire it up. Let's have a good time and drink. Right. Um, I, I will. I'll take you one more. So I uh, I love weeded bourbons. OK, that's that's what I like the most. Right. Uh, at RSA, i got to go and have five different kinds of pappy which was pretty was oh, wow. fun for me yeah uh, that's kind of cool right uh in portland with you a couple of months ago yeah. i got to have pappy and some others and that was pretty awesome as well but i really love their spartstown distillery their newer distillery and they had the the master distiller from acres mark came over and 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 did what he always wanted to do and they uncast it um like a few months ago and it's the Bart's Origin Series. It's a hundred proof, weeded bourbon, and it's like fifty bucks. About all you can get it all over the place. I love it. I think it's outstanding. So, I'm like, I will, I will let a vendor buy me Pappy Van Winkle, but I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not paying for it. It's good. It's better, but it's like, man, that much better, right? It's not like anything crazy. So. Yeah, I have a bunch of bunch of weeded bourbons, bunch of bourbons. I actually have a buddy coming over tomorrow. I think I'm going to build a uh, a bar in my basement and a wreck House theme. So that's, nice. that's my deal. Nice,
2: nice. Hey, Brent, this has been a great conversation with you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy
0: day.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you very much.